The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson. Each week on the podcast, we visit a different foodie city and explore the cuisine that makes that place special, whether it be custard tarts in Lisbon, mango beer in Mumbai, or lizard curry in Guatemala. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Ah, uh, that, that was a Texas pour. Picked <laughs> oh, up can. in Radioland. Good morning, into a mason jar. We are the winemaker. Moonshine into a mason jar. John Myers with Sam Katuri, Brian Casey, and our special old-time, old down-home friend Randy Hester from Austin, Texas. How you cheers, doing, Lightning? Cheers, man. Good cheers, cheers, cheers. Yeah, I'm. I'm the. I, I, I tell people sometimes I'm the Pete best of this podcast. You know, I'm the, I'm the fifth beetle, you know, this is, this was all I, I was really pressing was the fifth beetle. Oh, is he, is he? Yeah. Well, no, I'm so, I, we were sitting together at the girl in the fig and I said, I've got this idea to expand the radio show into a podcast. And I talked to Sam and I talked to Brian and you, and I, yeah. I thought, well, we'd be the podcast. And yeah. he said, no, man, I'm moving to Austin, Texas, like tomorrow. So right. we uh, we lost that opportunity. I did not even know this story, John. Really? Yeah, no. that's cool. And we, I, that's the way it happened. And he said, I've got this really good friend, Bart Hansen, that you want to talk to. And, I, you know, I knew Bart. <laughs> He'd been on the show. But, hey, it worked out perfect any way you look at it. So. Well, then we were kicking around ideas on how to do it, right? Because we were like, oh, recording recording equipment in Austin or like we can still get this done. Today, we could have done this easily. Right. Yeah. But yeah. 2017, five years ago, eh, not, between me and John and technology, I, it was not going <laughs> to happen. It wasn't going to happen. So. Soup can. Ball of string. A long, that's a long string. Well, I got to tell you, um, the podcasting industry has changed because I used to use a, a radio board, which I then donated to somebody else, um, bought a new one. You bought one, Brian, when you were doing uh, uh, the show Beat Goes On. What's the, the bike goes, goes on? on. Sorry about that. Sorry. And, um, and now I bought this Zoom unit. It's literally smaller than my computer. It's got six microphones and a phone plug-in and six uh, headphones, and that's it. No, it's just so much easier. It's like autopilot, so I'm happy to be using that. But, hey, we, you know, we've got them. We've got you back, too, buddy. So, so how's everything in up, Texas? We're coming up on our five-year anniversary of this podcast. Is that true? Yeah. Apparently. So, Randy, you moved to Texas in 2017. April of 17. April of 17. And our, we recorded our first show in May of mm -hmm. 17. Mm -hmm. At I, your place. And my, I, my knee was up on the... Yes, you were. Right. You I, was, had, I was post your ACL. Yeah. Wow. Well, we should do something to celebrate that. <laughs> 
We keep talking about that. Let's get Randy Hester on. Let's get Randy yeah. Hester on. There you go. So Happy Randy. anniversary, guys. I'm your surprise guest. Here, let's, let's what go through the magic of What's technology. Like living and making wine in Austin, Texas, man. Austin is a cool town. Uh, you know, not too dissimilar. <laughs> there you Please. go, Sam. That's so Sam, I'll put, I'll put the celebratory uh, <laughs> celebrat- <laughs> celebratory virtual background back on for Sam there. Um, Did Brooke take uh, that, is that photo? A, a virtual background? Is that what- <laughs> <laughs> All right. For all those right. listening and not seeing, that was. Uh, uh, Burt Reynolds's famous lane on a bearskin rug in the buff uh, with Randy from Playgirl. Although, fortunately for the for the Zoom background, your head was uh, very conveniently lined up so that uh, for our angle. That's right. <laughs> less yeah. less Burt less Burt than we wanted. Than Strategically we blocking. Yeah, no, it's, it's been fantastic, you know, um, not too dissimilar from, from where y'all live, you know, people travel to Austin, so that's been really nice, you know, living in Napa, uh, so close to Sonoma, we got really used to having guests, and so uh, Austin is another place like that, you know, Austin's a hot place to travel to, so we love that piece of it. Um, you know, between Brooks' work at Patson Hall and, and and her finance accounting life, and and then and then my path through, you know, from internship to you know winery owner, we 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 accumulated a lot in eleven years uh, living there in you know in the nation's wine country with y'all, and then we were able to bring that that whatever level of expertise that was, we were able to bring that home. We were able to to bring that and, and, and use that, that kind of that know-how um, to, to try to do some really good things here. You know, I can, I can uh, deliver wine to Brian in the back room and we can have a five minute chat. And, and, and in that five minute chat, it's like a little university of winemaking. It's a little university of the wine world. You know, he can, he has his bit to add and I have my bit to add. And then I bump into Sam at an event in town or, or whatnot. And, and again, we just kind of chit chat. And again, it's like a, it's like a high level university of winemaking. And, and we don't have that sort of underground infrastructure here, but we're building that. And so that's the piece that can be really gratifying here is that we're kind of setting, maybe not the rules, but we're setting the standards. We're setting the traditions. We are building the boundaries of what the Texas wine industry may be at some point. We're building the history of it. But what, Randy, what was it like? What was the the culture and the history like um, in Texas as far as the wine industry goes? It's been it's been a lot of mom and pop. It's been a lot of um, trial by fire. Um, there were there were for a long long time there were three main families growing grapes, and that that was it. And and they controlled the supply and they controlled the price. And mm-hmm. um, some of the newer growers, who are now pretty large growers, would have laughingly called them the uh, Texas wine mafia. Um, but they controlled the supply. And then, and then it was, it was all going to mom and pops who, 
Um, I mean, Texas has always had a supply problem. I mean, Texans cannot make enough wine to, to satiate that demand. Everyone is sold out. So there never has, there, there was rarely enough, um, um, reason to really increase on a quality level because you're selling out and you, you can't get right. more grapes and you're selling out and it, and it, you know, we're selling, you know, a $35, you know, rose, you know, Sunier rosé or the prices were out of control. The, the, the supply was out of control. So what's happening is more and more people are coming from out of state whether they're from Texas, left and came back like I did, or people are starting to hear, well, Texas is on fire. Texas is really on, on its way up, things like that. People are coming from out of state. And what's happening within the state, the small producers, what's happening at the winery level is that education that sets us apart. So, so again, if we go back to that conversation, if the four of us all meet up at the restaurant and we're all sharing a bottle of wine and we're all kicking around wine stories, whether that's grower stories, transportation stories, fire stories, whatever those stories are, th that's education. And here the education is, is, is shooting through the roof right now. The, the wineries are starting a friendly competition to race towards higher quality. And that has to come from an understanding, a better understanding of the chemistry of what we're trying to do, what, 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 how, how we're accomplishing what we want to accomplish in the vineyards. And then we turn that over to, to the winery and, and the chemistry of how the winery does what they do until we all as a group then turn it over to the end consumer. That education is raising everyone. That, that friendly competition is raising everyone. So all of these things are brand new to, to the Texas wine industry. And it is, fantastic to see it it is amazing to see it i i love it absolutely love it and were you kind of shocked like when you went there did you did you say oh check it out they have tempranillo or grenache or something growing here but hey you guys you know you think if you moved because texas is huge i mean i think a lot of people who haven't been to texas don't know how actually how big it is did you kind of go, you know what, if we move that a little bit north or a little bit south and try and get a little bit colder or a little bit hotter, you know, maybe that would do better and then look for people that were growing. Because like you said, if it was just these three basically parties that were growing the grapes, they were kind of <clears throat> dictating where things, how things were done and where things were done. So have you been able to kind of, you know, make little, uh, make suggestions and say, hey, you know, maybe we can um, do things a little bit better if we just do this. Uh, I, I don't do, I, I do more of that today than I ever have, but coming back to Texas, I was, I was that California guy. And so, so that didn't go well. And, yeah. uh, but each year I find more and more and more growers who with, with the like-minded approach with similar goal of getting the best product to the end consumer. So those folks, yes, I can say, Hey, what about this, that, and the other? And those folks I work with all year long, I'm making my first trip uh, to, to the majority of the vineyard sites next week 
it's a six hour drive from Austin, but. Wow. Um, and is that north or south? That's, that's west. West, okay. Yeah, so Austin's, say Austin's kind of in the center of the state. Uh, when you cross the Louisiana border on I-10, it'll tell you that it's 897 miles to El Paso, which is the, the tip, that, that, that sort of iron skillet tip at the end there. Mm-hmm. And then um, Lubbock is, is, is up in the, the rectangular corner closest to New Mexico. And that's where the majority of the, of the high quality fruit is coming from. And, and why is that? It's a legitimate growing region. So, so if, if I look at A, B regions um, and, we, and we call, you know, we call, you know, Bordeaux and Champagne and, and you know, A classified regions. Um, and then we look at secondary regions, like maybe more new world regions, you know, in, in Chile and South Africa and whatever, however you want to classify all that. The, the fruit coming out of that area, it's called the High Plains. And it's, uh, it's like at 3,500 feet of elevation, but it's, it's, but it's flat. Um, and the, the fruit coming out of there is on par with any bee region in the world. And um, it's, 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 it's got the diurnal shift. It's got the good soils. Um, what's happening is a lot of, um, you see, I, I have to choose my words pretty, pretty carefully. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a lot of, uh, of commodity farmers who, who say, okay, well, I'm going to move into grape growing now. And, and so they're, they're, they, for generations, they have produced cotton and peanuts and sorghum. And now they're interested in growing grapes for wine production. And so um, their generation is, is building that into their farming family and into their farming community. But it's getting, again, there's that, that desire for that education, that, that higher, I'll, I, I, these days I have people come to me and go, hey, Randy, what would you want planted? Hey, Randy, how would you want to grow this year? What, what, what are we going to do this year? And, nice. and that's, yeah. They're getting involved. What were they yeah. growing before you got there? What were these big three growing? Well, yeah. I mean, even, yeah, long, you know, for years, it's, it's been what grows uh, better. So like, say, a lot of orange muscat. Um, Cabernet actually grows well here in Texas. Uh, Merlot grows well here in Texas. Um, it was it was always varietals that grow well. That that again, if you go if you think of that commodities mindset of more is better. Yeah, I need I need more more more. So that 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 would that. <laughs> they needed, they needed more, not better. And so, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that was traditionally then what the whole state had to split up. So a lot of the white wines would have a content of orange muscat in it or muscat blanc. Um, I, I didn't change any, um, I didn't change what people were growing unless people were talking to me specifically about that. What I knew from my research, from my tasting, from my trips home 
was that the folks that had Tempranillo, Tempranillo was always the most quality wine that I tasted in all the years that we lived in California. And I came home uh, to, to, to continue to, to see what Texas was doing. Grenache, Rome varietals should do well here, but Grenache, that's in so there. Uh, Grenache, um, you know, you know, Sam could tell you this, Grenache wants to be grown at about three tenths of the acre. Um, the higher end priorats are going down to like two to one and a half tons per acre, but Grenache wants to give you 10. Yeah. Well, and yeah, yeah. Tons. Especially if you're, if you're farming Grenache for commodity, uh, you know, on a big trellis quadrilateral, you know, uh, you could probably, you know, you can push those big clusters you never get it ripe, but you could push a lot of fruit out of that. And, you know, from a, so from a, you know, cotton growing sort of mindset, Grenache could be pretty attractive that way, but it would be tough to make into good wine. And, and, and that's it. That's it in a nutshell. And I heard over and over, well, you know, we can grow Grenache here, but we, it doesn't make good wine here. And I always thought, why, why is that? Why is that? And when I was, you know, when we had lightning wines and I had eight different, you know, uh, single vineyard Grenache wines and, you talk about like Ann Kramer or Ron Mansfield and, you know, we're, we're bringing stuff in at three tenths of the acre. And, 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 and then I look over at Texas and we're looking at, you know, <laughs> 14 tons to the acre and, and, Oh, you go, Oh, ah, now I see why this can't make wine here. It's just yeah. cause we're not, cause we're not growing it right. And so then in order for me to make Grenache, I have to find people that buy in. And uh, luckily, I have the whole history with lightning. And there's a lot, a whole lot of Grenache that I can say, hey, man, if you'll just do what I'm asking you to do here, and I'll pay you for it. And, and, and we can make some beautiful wine together. We've got a we've got a, um, a, a guy that I work with on Grenache and Mouved in the lineup today. And uh, yeah, and he Desert, and he's Desert Willow Vineyard. That's right. Rob Warren, a Desert Willow Vineyard. He has Grenache planted and he has Moved planted. He's an organic cotton farmer and he, uh, and, and as was his dad and his grandpa before him. Um, and, and so he gets, he gets it at a higher level. He, he gets taking those extra steps to, to get something really, really right. And, and yeah, and we're, we're taking Grenache at three tenths of the acre and we're taking Moved at four and the wines are killer. And, and it's, 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 a, it's, it's, man, it's just simply because of tonnage on the vine. And so then I'm, I'm able to put out Grenache that I want to do. I feel like I've, I've got a grip on Grenache. And, and so, yeah, so then I look at T Tempranillo for my taste buds has, has always been the more premium wine in Texas. And I look at Grenache that I have a lot of um, experience with and, and move into the Senso, Cunois, Mouved that I also have some some experience with, with my blend that we did for lightning called cease and desist. Well, I have one for Texas as well. And I, I think I sent y'all that too. I have one yeah. right here. Yeah. 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 20, so, 20. so yeah, that's, yeah. So that's a continuation of that blend. So that's when we get into like, I tell people Mediterranean coastal, you know, we're looking at Tempranillo, we're looking at Grenache, we're looking at Roussan, Albarino. Um, I have a lot to choose from. And, and, and I, this doesn't have to do with anything y'all ask, but it's a good time for me to say, I have no 
we have no boundaries here, right? So if I go to Sonoma, I'm probably going to make Pinot and Chardonnay. And if I go to Napa, I'm probably going to make Cab and Chard and Sauv Blanc. And, and these are just the traditions of, of our regions, right? If I go to Burgundy, it's Pinot and Chardonnay. But here in Texas, we don't have that tradition. So I get to choose. It won't make sense in like a flight, like, oh, here's a bunch of Spanish wines or here's a bunch of Rhone wines. So it won't make sense in that regard. But I get to choose what I think is working the best. And that's that's my lineup. That's when you come and taste with me. Uh, it's not going to be, you know, shard, shard, pinot, pinot, pinot. It's going to be all these different ones. The Senso yeah, Rosé. Yeah. Uh, Senso Rosé, a Pinot Gris aged in barrel. Uh, you know, the Tempranillo and the Grenache. And so it's fun that way. I'm digging the Pinot Gris. I just, uh, you know, popped it. It's been sitting on the desk. I meant to put it in the freezer. I forgot. Uh, but room temperature, there's like stone fruit flavors. This is kind of peachiness to it. Uh, great acidity. Um, and and this kind of a cool color too. You know, a little uh, kind of looks like it's got a little orange to it, although it's not, you know, um, it's, it's green, right? Um, so, yeah, interesting. interesting yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, not not purposefully an orange wine, but um, I it occurred to me one day Texas grows Pinot Grigio well. Why isn't why hasn't anyone made a rosé from it? And so then I start looking at this and I start finding Ramado, the northern Italian uh, method of making Pinot Grigio, which is all skin contact. And I guess the story is Santa Margarita came through in the in the mid '60s and. And, and started making it in a bunch of white wine made for American palates. And, and, uh, but Romato still exists and Skin Contact, you know, is today is, 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 is having a moment and, and I enjoy that. And so that wine has been an evolution. That first Romato I did was 19. It was every bit of that like tannic copper. It tasted like a, like a, like a charcuterie plate. It, it was prosciutto and apricot and just jam. And it was crazy wine that had me way out of my comfort zone. And uh, it freaked me out. And so the 20, <laughs> yeah, it freaked me out. But the 20 was more of my intention. But I had already made the 20 by the time I started to embrace the 19. And so the, the 21 that I have in barrel today is more of a combination of those two. But um, then with the 20, what I did was I had some, uh, I, there was some Albarino that I didn't get uh, last year. So I had these extra barrels. And so I thought, well, this Gris is all stainless at that point, would be a, would be a killer option to throw and see what it's going to do in these barrels. So I had these, these, these soft new French oak barrels I put the gris in there for a year and boom. And that's what y'all are drinking now. And so it just gives it that extra texture and weight. And, and, and just, this, was, this was in new barrels. Yeah. Because I mean, it doesn't, it, you know, you definitely get the texture of having been in a barrel, but it's not, it didn't like turn it into an Oak bomb by any stretch of the imagination. It handled it really, really well. It's interesting. No, I work all new oak wood. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I, I, any oak I use here in Texas, I, I use oak subtly, 
Um, 0% of my Grenache production for lightning had oak. It was 100%, you know, I mean, I had barrels from 2006, 2009, completely neutral barrels that I had used for the entirety of that production, barrels that I still use here. Um, but Texas fruit is young and it's overcropped and it just cannot handle a lot of oak, a lot of oaky oak. But man, does it ever react well to, to a light hand. So my Tempranillo might be 60% new oak, but it's going to be just a lot of medium oak with baked heads, you know, that kind of soft, long approach. So uh, that's all I wanted from that Greek. Get it in that barrel. It's aged on the lees. Get some of that more interesting character, uh, you know, tea, like a chamomile tea coming out in that mm -hmm. one. Uh, but, but, um, but not, man, I, I'm not interested in, 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 a, in a flashy oaky version of that wine. I want it to be pretty. You know, uh, Scott, uh, Scott Schultz has Jolie Lake. And uh, uh, dude, hit that Pinot Gris. So like that was the inspiration for that wine, really. It was like, I just want to make a Gris like Scott's making. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, uh, you know, uh, not a bad place to find your inspiration. I think, yeah. I think, uh, Maybe more skin contact white wine needs really subtle new oak uh, sort of finishing. I think that 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 created this balance um, that you don't get a lot with the you know the hardcore natty orange skin contact crowd, um, but uh, really kind of brings something interesting here. You know, with all, I have a lot of experience in my in my day jobs with Cabernet and Sauvignon Blanc. So a lot of pyrazine action. And so um, that, I, you know, I'm making some skin contact stuff and including this Gris, including uh, some Trebbiano that I have in barrel. And I, I think you're absolutely right because what happens right off the bat that Trebbiano actually this year, I thought that I didn't press it in time. I, it was about two days after I probably should have pressed it. And it was simply because it started taking on more stemmy character. I, I was doing an extended maceration. I mean, the, the wine was dry. Um, I was just waiting to see how long I could push it. And um, I probably waited two days too long. Then I put it in that barrel and it just went, yeah. it just like melted in. And, it, and, and, and that green character, it's gone, but it's, it's, it's like when you put together that stew on the on the on the on the stovetop. Once you first put in those vegetables, you taste them, and then eight hours later, it's like, oh, it's just a rich, you know, whole thing. And then that's yeah. So I think you're spot on with that, Sam. And did I, I didn't get any of the Pinot Gris, so unfortunately, I can't. I didn't. Join the I, thought conversation. I, I thought I put one in the box for you. No, no, I got a. Uh, I got I got the bouge right. I got some of the the. Um, Carbonic Sangio, and then the, the Tempranillo, and then the, the uh, Grenache Mavedra and the Rosé, which I thought, oh, of course they gave me the Rosé. Well, I, I think my, my math was, because I really wanted to taste the Carbonic Sangiovese, but I, I sent you the Carbonic Sangiovese, Brian, and, um, and took the, the Pinot Gris. That, gotcha, must, have, that gotcha. must have been my, of course, you know, we had a plan, Randy had a plan, and then neither of those plans are what actually happened. Right. <laughs> Classic right. winemaker style. <laughs> well, Randy, I've got a question. This is out of line, but Sam and I were looking at this cease and desist bottle. Good Lord. 
it's Sam. We were talking about this yesterday. It's the biggest, heaviest, it's big deepest bottle. punt I've I've ever seen. And it's got I think that- there's different laws in Texas. Like your your bottle has to weigh at least ten times the the weight of the juice <laughs> in the bottle. It's something like right. that. I forget what the ratio is. Right. You know um, that. And before, right, so- before Randy, before you before you. Sam is freezing. He without sin cast the first stone. I am currently shipping our Adutet, our second release of Adutet. And the first two Adutets, 2018, 2019, I, you know, as a group, I, you know, I'll, but I'll take the, the blame picked a substantial bottle. It's heavy. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. I, you know, we didn't make it in 20, 2021 Adutet in, in barrel right now. You know, obviously, Philippe won't get to taste it or blend it but um gonna find the nicest looking normal or even lightweight bottle i can to sort of like make amends for my sins you know the carbon footprint piece of it for sure just like you know the team having to move boxes cases you know when the fedex guy and the ups guy show up and you're loading into the back of the truck and it's like yeah this was this was there's 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 a problem I, I did wrong. I did wrong there. So when my when my person from MA Silva, the first year that we ordered this glass and my person from MA Silva says, do you want that in six pack or 12 pack? And I, you know, I'm a seller guy. I'm like, I want a 12 pack, you know, right. I mean, I, I'm not going to double my work. I mean, you know, a six pack is twice the amount of boxes I have to dump and move and stack and, you know, haul and and then they showed up and i mean you had to be he-man to move those 12 packs around so <laughs> yeah from from that point forward it was six packs and i get it but you know i always um so so i always point out that we we didn't invent this bottle this is this is not our this is not our die uh you know this is a standard bottle uh that people use but here's the thing y'all i i wouldn't i like I appreciate my customer and I want to buy nice cork and I want to buy nice glass and I want to have a nice label. And those are all the things that we did with lightning wines. And I never used capsules because I think they're a huge waste. And, um, you know, and today, luckily that's really pretty, pretty well caught on. And so if you don't use a capsule, it's not weird anymore where, you know, when I was, yeah. Right. Sam. Uh, so yeah, in the air. Yeah. So if Bart was here, he'd be raising one too. Yeah, 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 yeah. But guys, think about this. So I couldn't I couldn't come home to Texas and be the Napa guy who's just average, right? Like I would never put if I was still banking wine in California and I put my cab in that bottle, feel free to laugh at me because that's it's it's obnoxious, right? But when when I'm coming home to Texas, I I need I need to have I need to make a splash. And so we put everything we could towards that, including custom capsule with the CLB brand on top of it, uh, which Texans didn't do uh, branding the cork. So I had a higher grade of cork uh, with less faults and flaws and, and whatnot along the sides. And then we branded it. We branded it on the top and bottom and we branded it on the side with our website and whatnot as opposed to the generic send me a bag of corks approach. So that bottle played into that and it, and it worked. Um, I was trying to reach a niche that really people here weren't reaching for. 
Um, I was trying to reach people who travel the world, who travel, who, who know good food, who know good wine. They probably know all of y'all because they've traveled to see you and, and spent time with you. Those were the folks I was looking for here and, uh, and continue to look for. I mean, that's the foundation of my business. And so we, we wanted to come in with a splash, but we, uh, we have, you know, definitely rethought that bottle. That bottle is no longer uh, in, in, in our use and, and we've moved on. And in fact, I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna have any more custom capsules made. So I'm out of the capsule business. Uh, sorry, Nate Page at Lafitte. Sorry, bud. Uh, well, that's good because none of that shit was gonna show up on time this year anyway. So it doesn't <laughs> well, yeah, 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 that's right. So yeah, man, just really rethinking that, you know, for so many years, I was jealous of the, of the beer world and, 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 and booze too, but in beer, oh man, you could do anything you could do. You could be fat bastard. You could be, you could be any, you'd be death and taxes and you could just be anything and look like anything. And in wine, we couldn't today. That's not true. You know, in wine, we can do a whole heck of a lot more than we ever were able to do before and stick to my guns on, on being a traditional winemaker. You know, I'm not going to go natty bro. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do a bunch of stuff that I don't think is technically sound, but, um, but I can make, I can be a traditional winemaker who pushes the boundaries. um, And then also can play some with my packaging. So that's kind of where I'm at. But yeah, we're moving away from that bottle, John. I'm with you, bro. Well, it just made a really interesting uh, statement. It's a good one. You know, I mean, we, what's the statement? I thought people in Texas were just stronger than us. <laughs> they have to be, right? Now, it actually brings up a good question for me, which is, um, you know, maybe more a little inside baseball, but what is your customer base like? Is it is it most, it's mostly... <clears throat> other it's other people in texas right or or is there you know are you able to build a a membership base like you can out here that is you know 48 states if you're lucky um or you know i mean even though obviously here it's still you know i still sell more wine to people from california than just about anywhere else but um you know we have actually you know texas customers all, all over the country right um, so who are the people that are, are buying the wines coming to the tasting room? You know, what does that look like there compared to what it looks like here? Sure. So uh, having people come taste with me is, is much, much, much different than, than, than when they come to taste with you, because when they come to taste with you, they're coming probably from all corners of the, of the, of the country. Um, if not sometimes uh, from around the world, Um we are fortunate enough that a lot of our lightning wine club members just followed us over to the CL Buto wines nice. and, and that's been huge. So I have to perform for them also, you know, I have an, I feel an obligation to continue some level of quality uh, that they've become accustomed to. So uh, because of, of that lightning uh, wine club list and mailing list, we do have followers um, all over the country, not nearly like what you experience, but uh, boy, for a Texas winery, um, I'm pretty dang happy with, with what we have. Um, you know, and, and to start with Lightning, 
there's Texans, you know, like to your point, you said there's Texans all over the place and they all stick together and like, oh, Texas is, you know, the best country in the world and all that. And, and, you know, we, we had, we had Texans all over the country buying the lightning wines because they, they knew we were from Texas originally. And so now here coming back, we have a strong, strong Austin base because obviously we're, we're based right here in Austin. So the folks that come to visit me are no longer, we just came from Chicago and we were told that we had to find you. We just came from Miami and we were told we had to find you. It's no longer that it's, it's, um, man, we've been hearing about y'all forever. We were glad to finally, you know, drive out here and come see you. And so it's a lot of locals. So, um, you know, for instance, in the wine club and on the perks on the club, you know, uh, when we were based in Napa, uh, the, the big perk was we covered shipping. We covered shipping for, for, for all of our people. And then here, the big perk is they can roll into the tasting room anytime they want and they can have a flight of wine and have a glass of wine. So, so it's, it's a big difference. Um, it is mostly Texans, but we're very happy to say we have customers all over the country. Randy, you're doing a lot of PR. I see you in magazine articles and newspaper all the time. Congrats on that. Thanks. I'm, I'm a pretty man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, <laughs> Look at this gray name, beard. Uh, Look at this gray beard. <laughs> How do you pronounce the actual name? Buton? Buto. 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 Yeah. Okay. Buto. Who is CL Just- Buto? Yeah, C.L. Buteau was Clet Louis Buteau. He was my great-grandfather. He was born in Abbeville, Louisiana in 1900 and uh, moved to Houston, uh, moved to Beaumont, Texas, around the Spindletop uh, oil boom and uh, went to work for, for Humble Oil, which became part of Exxon. And he retired from Exxon in the 60s. Uh, everyone knew him as Frenchie, and he was my papa Frenchie. Oh, why, uh, did, why did they know him as Frenchie? Uh, it, it's last name it was, was boot. <laughs> yeah, he was, you know, that was a good, yeah, he was, you know, he had a potty mouth too, you know, he was, uh, he was, <laughs> he was, uh, he was real good on some cussing, but, uh, but he was also, you know, he's come, coming from a French heritage. So it's probably an easy thing to just call him by. Okay. Uh, but yeah, and the kids, I mean, we knew him as Papa Frenchie. So the Clet, Clet Lewis Buteau, the CL Buteau brand is the all black on black, uh, you know, that higher end approach that we took when we came into town. And, you know, that first wine, the 2014 Tempranillo um, was the Texas monthly wine of the year. And uh, Texas, I think, I think their slogan is the, uh, the national magazine of Texas and Texas, Texas monthly is a big deal. I think when, when, when we got the wine of the year in Texas monthly is when my father-in-law finally started liking me a little bit. Like, so that was, <laughs> that, 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 that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so that, so that's where that comes from. The, the, the main brand is Ciel Buto and the, and the second brand with the, with the Rosé is uh, Papa Frenchie. And, and um, is Brooks family all originally from Texas as well? Yes. Yes, she okay. comes from a long line of German farmers out in uh, the middle of West Texas. And okay. um, yeah, so she's from out there and I'm from I'm from Houston. And then uh, we met in Houston and we both knew when we moved to California, it would be a 10 year plan to come home and move to Austin, where all the, the wine tourism is, is based. And then uh, her being from out there really is, oh, 
it was the only thing that got my foot in the door out there. You know, they would go, oh, there's that California guy I was telling you about. And I'm like, man, I'm from, I'm from Houston. And they're like, well, I wish Houston would fall off into the Gulf of Mexico. They're like, well, <laughs> all right. So then I, then I figured I out. So one guy goes, uh, hey, well, but his wife's from out here. His wife's from Garden City. And so that's when I realized I would introduce myself and I go, hey, uh, how you doing? I'm, I'm Randy Hester. And my wife is from Garden City. Nice to meet yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that was the only way I started getting fruit out here. And are you guys working together right now or is she doing something else? Yeah. So Brooke is the uh, CFO for uh, Garrison Brothers, Texas Bourbon. Um, wow. The, okay. Nice. Yeah. 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 So uh, she, she was not in beverage when we moved back, she went back into corporate accounting and was with this uh, drilling company. And uh, it was, it was, really nice and then uh headhunter came calling and this 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 company is uh making moves and and the the things that she did in california just fit right in and she also never you know people didn't come through the office on fridays popping corks at the at the drilling company so yeah you know yeah it's back to beverage and what does your spot look like like have you moved or when you moved back did you did you get one uh, did you, you know, uh, build a tasting room and kind of stuck with it or did you, have you moved around a little bit? No, we didn't have a space when we first got back. So we were looking, we were looking at buildings. Uh, we always wanted to be an urban winery. We always wanted to be, kind of be in Austin, you know, in town, uh, at least around town. And, you know, we were looking and looking, looking for buildings, um, you know, and then when you're in the city, you know, things can be difficult when you when it comes to, you know, uh, being approved for different things and, and, and build outs and whatnot. So we waited, we waited. And um, there's an old um, there's a cidery here that really wasn't going to it wasn't going to make it through COVID. And uh, and so those guys uh, reached out. We actually took over the lease and negotiated that with the uh, with with the uh, with the, the the landowners and yeah so we took over a lease of a cidery where this space has already had hospitality it's already produced a wine type fermentation product so very very appealing to us and it's it's in a it's in a really um, uh, it's in a really popular part of town for getting just out of town and then going to breweries, distilleries, and now, you know, wineries. Um, okay. Before, so you have, you have some, uh, some neighbors that also attract people coming out, spending the day, hanging out, doing some testing and tasting. Yes. Yes. And so we were four years without a place to entertain face to face, and and in and in California, we knew everyone in our wine in our wine club and mailing list because of the face to face interaction. We had we sat with them in our tasting room, and met everyone. And then we moved here, and and we we start to realize some success, and and we're starting to to make a lot more wine and see a lot more people, and things are really progressing. And yet we didn't have that face to face, so we've only had this one tasting room and it is, um, gosh, it couldn't come fast enough. I mean, when we opened the doors, it, it was, it was bonkers and we were outside, you know, so we have inside and we have outside, thank goodness. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been incredible to be back and be face to face and to see the, 
the, you know, we're continuing to, to uh, increase our tonnage, increase our case count. It's been phenomenal. And is it, is it, is it like out here in Sonoma where, where most of the people are making their wines at like an eight street East kind of situation? No, again, it's a lot of mom and pops. It's a lot of folks with all of their own stuff. And so uh, the idea of a custom crush situation is really new here. Wow. Business opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. yeah. And so I've had that. That is, I would say, probably the most distinct way that I've had influence on the Texas industry is the idea of a custom crush facility, because um, our our model, basically, you know, when Brooke was a CFO for Patson Hall, if you look at Patson Hall uh, for years, for 20 plus, 25 plus years, they never owned a building. They never owned vineyards. They had longstanding yeah. relationships. Rented that house. Right, yeah. right. They made their wines at uh, um, Honig. Is that right? Mm. Made their wines in Honig. And then, you know, just longstanding with, you know, the Chenowitz and, 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 and Hudson and, and like all, all the folks. And um, that's our business model. Very cash lean. We don't own vineyards. I mean, we couldn't have moved to California and then started planting vineyards. Um, we also couldn't have moved here and started planting vineyards. We just didn't have time. And then, and then, um, yeah, so we've always done custom crush and I've been able to help different facilities just figure out what that is. You know, how does this operate? What is our responsibility? What is your, your responsibility? All the what ifs, which has been, it's been really nice. And I'm in a situation right now that's pretty hard to beat. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with our custom crush. Um, very happy with our grower situation. And then our tasting room, like I said, has the, the ability to, uh, to have tanks and fermentation. So that's what we're working on, but that's already on our property. So that's coming. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you think you'll be able to do all of your production on site? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's going to be nice. It's a, we, you know, I mean, I guess the early goal was harvest 22, but that's not going to happen, but uh, you know, we'll say, we'll say harvest 23, but, uh, yeah, that, if I can, if I can get back to that kind of full control over my winemaking, then it, I, I, I'm going to like it, but I can't make the wines I'm making right now without the current facility that I'm in. Those guys, um, they're taking care of it. They're so open to, to what I'm bringing. And so it makes a huge difference. You know, I'm talking about, the full carbonic Sangiovese. I'm talking about skin contact whites and, uh, you know, just funky stuff that, that, that they've never seen or heard of. And if, if we don't work together on that, I, I can't make these wines. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they're probably, they're probably digging that too. They're like, <laughs> just yeah. like we are. Anytime you see a new, a new thing, a new process, you're kind of like, Oh yeah, that's kind of cool. Let's check out how that, how that works. Everybody Especially works. with someone else spending the money on it. <laughs> you know, you, you just—it's basically free experimentation, right? Exactly. Who else got a uh, Frenchie's uh, rosé besides me? Mm, I did. I'm already into it. Oh, me too. John yeah. uh, and I were having it for breakfast. That's a great <laughs> breakfast wine, man. There you yeah. go. Huh. This is nice. So this is Senso. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's nice is seeing you branching out into some cold wines, John. Yeah, you, you were straight red when, right? when we drank last. <laughs> that that has been uh, Brian working on me, honestly. Nice. I think and that's 
a, and a with, podcast uh, evolution in John's wine. Yeah. Day. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, but look what's in his glass. Look what's in his glass right now. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. Oh, it's, 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 it looked it looked red in the glass. <laughs> no, I'm sorry about that. But yeah, no, that's uh, yeah, a nice wine. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a few things I really, really, really want to hit. And I mean, and Casey can tell you too about my rosé. I man, I always want to hit rosé. Rosé. It's the starter. It opens the doors. It's if if I had to trace back my conversations with Brian, it would probably go back to him buying that rosé, and and me saying, "Hey, nice to meet you, and thank you for having me." Um, yeah, that rosé. You know, it's we keep it simple, right? It's it, it's 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 the summer drink, so yep. keep it keep it simple and clean, and and um, very happy with this this twenty one. Oh, yep. we're doing magnums this year. A nice. I like that. Yeah, oh, uh, Magnum's yeah. a rosé. Yeah, you can do that too, Sam. I I do I do I I did uh, Magnums with the kosher back in the oh, day. Sure. I do yeah. uh, Adutet Magnums, uh, three liters, really? a couple of three liters of the rosé. Wow. You know, you want you want to say the party started. You put a three liter of rosé down on the table. You know what I mean? Yep. And like it's talking about a, a statement bottle. Yeah, I mean, we're not going anywhere. I I need I need a couple magnums of that autotat. Just put yeah. put one each way for me, please. Okay, gotcha. All right. See, well, the food Randy, already. Randy, already. Randy <laughs> I, like I saw it. I saw you on some local um, Texas TV show. I don't know if it was last year, or the year before. You were doing uh, Super Bowl food and wine pairings, and the and of course the rosé, you know, goes with everything. Um, right. <laughs> but are you, is that something you do every year? Yeah. Well, those girls have been great, you know? Uh, so we do some stuff with them throughout the year. Um, um, <laughs> one of those girls, it's her favorite wine. So, so, so we actually, uh, uh we actually had, they asked for the rosé for her birthday episode this year. Uh, so yeah, so that, that's been a lot of fun to do that, but the, the themes change the, the Super Bowl was one thing. It was timely at the moment. Okay. And, and we could get that done, but it, it started off with food and whatnot. And, and Stephanie and Rosie just kind of want to eat. So, um, I've, I've, I've kind of toned back the food piece. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not cooking all a bunch of food. Cause during COVID too, we were bringing it out to their homes. Right. Cause they were, they were recording at home. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like slaving in the kitchen on mac and cheese for like two days right. and then, you know, making them their own portions and taking them. And I'm like, y'all, y'all, y'all can figure this out. Like, I'll see y'all when we open back up. <laughs> no, they've been fantastic. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, I want that mac and cheese recipe. Yeah, yeah. Speak of opening oh, back up. To you. What's it like in Texas at the moment, COVID wise? It's good, you know. Um, people pay attention. People respect each other. Uh, I think that piece has been good. Um, sometimes people aren't, uh, you know, aren't vaccinated, and I think there was a second wave where, um, at first, you know, it might be, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not scared of this, and then it, you know, people start to know others um, that get COVID, and and then they go, oh, yeah, this is this is pretty bad. So um, it's, it's actually pretty nice. And, and, and uh, the cities are on board, the restaurants are on board, everybody, you know, you, you, you see 
the sanitation stations and the masks and then the requirements for everyone. So it's, it's, it's been, it's good. It's good. I guess the short answer is it's good. Yeah. It just keeps changing here. You know, one day mm -hmm. we're up, one day we're down. Our radio stations closed again, you know, but you know, that's 70 hosts in and out during a week. Um, and guests, you know, it was just a, a problem waiting to happen. So I'm glad mm -hmm. they did. Well, it was like that out here too, John, you know, it was the same thing where we didn't, you know, we watched it on the news, but we didn't, we didn't know a lot of people that were sick. And so, you know, you're, you're probably a little more relaxed than you should be. And then, but the last uh, couple of months, it seems like all of us are just, you know, it's work and, and home, everyone's been affected. So everyone's, um, you know, getting back to the, getting back to the guidelines. My huge fear is that I lose my sense of taste and smell. Right. You know, and I'm already That's old anyway. Good. So so I'm already I'm already on the downhill slide. And so <laughs> so if COVID comes in and, and rips out all of my senses, you know, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Talk about an important um, piece of your job. Yeah, guys who are like work for PG and E, you gotta smell for gas or winemakers or chefs. Mm -hmm. Like those are the people you do not want getting sick. Right. Right. All right, who else has got the carbonic sangio? I think just again, just you guys, right? I really should have kept one. I should have taken John. I don't have one. You don't have one? No. Is there another one yeah. over there? I'm gonna Randy, did you ever do a carbonic when you were out here with the Grenache? Not a straight carbonic. Uh, my process always included about 30% whole cluster. So um, what I did there with all those single vineyard Grenaches that I that I could sling out at any moment. Uh, it was one process. So uh, the process, and, and it's a process that I've carried over to today, uh, to my production here in Texas, it is 30% whole cluster, it's 15 to 30% bleed, depending on what that vintage and that and that vineyard are giving me. And then it's uh, an all native everything, you know, just uh, the wild, the wild ferments with the with the punch downs, the aging on the leaves and neutral oak, Stir, 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 uh, bottle at 11 months fresh, you know, don't, don't let it oxidize and then, and then age it in bottle. So um, whether I had a huge tannic Grenache from a big site, like up in Lake County, or, or if I had a pretty little Santa Clara uh, Grenache, you know, it, it was bottled at about 10 to 11 months, but, but the bottle age is where I really uh, set those apart. But um, with those 30% whole cluster, you would get a semi-carbonic uh, uh, flavor component from that. So I've, I've messed with it since I've my, I made my first Syrah in 2007. Um, and I love it as, as a component. And you can still get those whole clusters out of those Grenache ferments and you can break them open. And, ah, it's, the, it's the whole carbonic taste and the purple pulp and the whole bit. And then when you press those wines that, that have partial whole clusters, you get that in the different press cuts, which is a lot of fun. Um, but with that wine, that carbonic Sangiovese, and uh, I don't know, I just kind of want to call it the Boge, you know, just like it's just the tip of the hat to the Beaujolais wines that I love. Because uh, I, I love Cru Beaujolais. I love the way they age. You nailed it on that. Yeah, uh, it's just fun that way. So if I could say... Let's do the first. I did a Cunois. Uh, I put out a Cunois last year. It was semi-carbonic. 
um, it was fun to do. And I, I played with that, but this, this Sangio vineyard, I thought the fruit profile on this is just going to be killer for, for, uh, carbonic. So it was a lot of fun to do this very first wine, full carbonic, fully, uh, evacuate the oxygen before I laid the fruit in it. Of course, under the weight of it, eventually some of it's going to pop at the bottom, but it, it was, a, it was a actual full carbonic, uh, uh, anaerobic fermentation. And it was killer. It was killer. I was ready to, I was ready to open that take in any moment. Cause I was just tasting through the, uh, sample sample port, but we, we, we gave it the carbon dioxide and, and then closed it. And then we didn't see it again. And, uh, it, it kept fermenting. It never stopped. I guess, you know, eventually those, those grapes are going to bust open and eventually I'm sure the, the yeast took over or whatever. But, um, at the end of the day, we opened that tank and you open all those clusters and you get all that purple pulp and you're like, Oh my God, like I'm a magician. This works. You know, <laughs> I can't believe this actually works, you know, cause I can't tell you how many punch downs and pump overs I've been a part of. Uh, yeah, it was fun. This, this is delicious. I, I love that. It's uh it's nice and light. It's juicy. It's got great acid, but it doesn't have a lot of the like bubble gummy flavors that you get with, you know, some of those other carbonics that you try. Yeah, and the gamay, the gamay yeah. can do that a lot, and I was worried about that. But I, I, I think that's why I like this source. There's this, um, there's this strawberry candy to the to the fruit, and and then it just translated to the to the carbonic uh, execution mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm digging it. Plus, I, you know, if I if I take if I think about that structure right there, and it's only a four month old wine, right? I, if I think about Cru Beaujolais, and if I think about that glass that, that you have in your hand, I think that wine's gonna evolve. I think that wine's gonna do something fun and funky over the next five years. So. And do you think about, you know, because Texas is generally hotter. Um, but then also you think, you know, people are eating steaks. Is it like a conscious decision? You're thinking, you know, it'd be nice to have some, some wines that are a little bit lighter that you can, you can drink on a, when it's, when you got hot weather, but at the same time, you want something once in a while, you want to sit down and have a nice steak. So you want something a little bit deeper, darker. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, a lot of cold wines, you know, I'm, I'm probably making more cold wines than I should, but um, the, the, the desert willow, Grenache, Mavad, Roussan that y'all have, uh, the Phillips family since so the previous Grenache and Mavad, uh, offerings that I've had that previous Kunwas that I mentioned, this Sangio, and then so many wines that are coming. My core items are still the Tempranillo and still the cease and desist. And the cease is probably consistently the biggest of the wines that I make, but even the Tempranillo being my sort of quote unquote bigger flagship wine, it's probably medium plus. It's probably medium plus body. So I'm not going into like some kind of tannic varietal. I'm not going into some kind of heavy handed oak. I'm not going into uh, overripe. I mean, I, I feel like the U.S. is pulling back from overripe you know, I feel like that started six or eight years ago, but yeah, no, without a doubt, without a doubt, I need to make a wine 
there's a lot of times where we're like that Texas Tempranillo, that'll be the only Texas wine in a, on a steakhouse wine list. So that's phenomenal. So I, I definitely think I, I, I'm not trying to match Rioja, but I am trying to figure out what is Texas Tempranillo going to do for me. And so, yeah, make, make some of these core items for the core Texas buyer, the steakhouse, the big flavor type meals. But then, yeah, man, come in with that everyday Senso, that everyday Grenache, and put a little chill on it, yeah. do, something, do something funky. I'm loving your labels. Again, this is a wine by Randy Hester. The name of this wine is The Boat. <laughs> it's cool. I mean, who else has ever done that? I've never seen it. Have you seen it? Brian, that's, that, that's a unique label for sure. Or thanks, or or the Frenchie, uh, you know the the illustration, and especially on the cease and desist, it's amazing. You know, it's pure black, it's raised letter, but it's matte. It's amazing. Yeah. So the the CLB was a lot of fun to make that package. Uh, our designer uh, is is there with y'all. She's uh, Sarah Lucas Designs. And Sarah just, man, she gets us and she gets me. And she she knows how to take the mush that comes out of my mouth and, and, and do that with it. And, and, and that is an amazing thing when you work with people that way. Um, so the black on black and the embossed and the black foil and the black capsule, et cetera, et cetera. And then on the back, you know, um, that's where you get the information. You see some assist or Tempranillo, the 19 vintage, et cetera. Um, and so then the second label became Papa Frenchie. But the secret behind Papa Frenchie was that we sat on that art for several years. Um, we reached out to an artist that, that I love. Uh, she's based in Manhattan. Her name is Dana Veraldi. And uh, her company is DearDana.com. It's D-E-E-R dana.com and she's this pop culture artist who's connected to so 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 many people and um that that pop-off frenchy label with that banner at the bottom with the name on it that is her aesthetic um and she started that in 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 art school and she did she, she what she says she does people who she would like to have dinner with and she in, in art school she had picasso jean-michel basquiat you know um over for uh, dinner well you know <laughs> warhol no but 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 these are the you know these are the folks that she would sketch and and so that's so so um i just love what she's doing as she's connected with so many different projects and things yeah look at that sure. oh wow that's a new one i haven't seen that one. Oh, nice anthony dear, dear d-e-r dana uh on instagram Good account. yeah 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 so cool. she's Sam, super cool so we looked her up and and i said you know we were just like hey you know we got this we're, we're about to move home to texas we've, we've got to come up with a design for our label and she said well i've been wanting to do a wine bottle so so this this artist started taking photo you know we started sending her photos of my great-grandfather and she started sending us sketches with the banner and it was just amazing but it wasn't the wasn't the aesthetic we wanted to come into Texas with. You know, what we did with the black on black was, uh, you know, with the more sophisticated look was how we wanted to enter the market. 
so we sat on that artwork for a few years until it came time to to produce the Frenchie wines, and then and then that's when we were able to put Papa Frenchie on the front like that. So we we love the design of that, obviously. And then that third one is just because, again, if we look at the freedom that we have in winemaking right now, um, and if I'm going to start working on some carbonic Sangiovese or some skin contact Trebbiano or or, or whatever it is that's coming down the pipe, then uh, I want something fun and funky that, you know, to put that under. And, and I had that, that, that idea. Anybody who knows me would not take that label seriously. You know, like I'm not, uh, you know, it, it, I, maybe somebody who doesn't know me goes, wow, this guy thinks a lot of himself. Um, but that's like 100% opposite of the truth. Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, so it's just fun, right? It's just like supposed to be something fun. And it's no, there's like this guy, Randy makes these other wines, but look, th- this is, this is his. And, and it's just kind of fun and it's kind of wacky, you know? Well, and there's something like, you know, um, demystifying about it. And and it's sort of, it's straightforwardness. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's meta as the kids would say, right. It's, you know, <laughs> right. what do you want a wine label? What do you want a wine label to say when somebody looks at it? Well, you want them to know who made it and, and what it is. Right. Yeah. So just to like, say, Hey, this is, you know, instead of, you know, if you know, CL Buteau is your great grandfather, then, you know, the Randy Hester made CL Buteau wines, but if you just say, "Hey, this is this is this is what I who I am and what I made," um, there's a clarity and transparency there that um, I, you know, when we talk about these goddamn uh, Silicon Valley bank wine industry, you know, state of the industry reports where we people they still can't figure out how to sell wine to millennials. They still can't figure out how to sell wine that isn't Cabernet Sauvignon, you know, Chardonnay or or Pinot Noir, and and we go, well, no, there's some of us who know how to do that. To yeah. Who are they saying that. doesn't know, Sam? Yeah. You know, statistically, as an industry across the board, those are marks that we miss. Right. You know, Grenache is still not a huge seller across the industry. Uh, you know, millennials still aren't joining wine clubs across the industry. Um, you know, we, we, John, we, you know, we have a little bit of a bubble here and, and this winemakers podcast bubble, you know, we don't talk to, to commercial large scale commodity kind of, uh, you know, producers and their, you know, business models that are missing these marks when it comes to, you know, these factors. So when you do a state of the industry report and you do the stats, yeah, you know, by statistics, we're missing these marks. But, you know, put your freaking name on the label and make it really clear what it is. And it's amazing what those things can do. Um, so, uh, and Sam, it, it, it personalizes it a little bit. Like, exactly. Claude Duval. What does Claude Duval the fuck mean? I mean, it means you're paying, uh, you're paying more than you want to. Right. <laughs> paying more than you should. Yeah. Right. Where? Yep. I see this label. I know. Right. I know. Yeah. I'm having a good time tonight. That's right. There you <laughs> exactly. go. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. For fifteen dollars. Right. Yeah. 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 So I might even pick one up for tomorrow. 
Yeah. And right. Sam, I mean, you know, that that's it. The simplicity of that of that label. Uh, that's who that's who I'm targeting. You know, when, when I'm talking about a carbonic Sangio and I'm talking about a carbonic Graciano, carbonic Cunois, skin ferment, Trebbiano, aged in barrel. You know, I made a uh, I made a Blonde Noir this year. It's going to be I'm going to bottle it as a still wine. I made it from Grenache. Hmm. Um, you know, that's Whoa. that's yeah, man. Yeah, it's, it's it's. Okay, hold on. Yeah. Say that again. What? You did a, <laughs> you did a yeah. Blanc de Noir bottling as a still made from Grenache. Yeah, so it's a whole cluster. So it's a vineyard that doesn't give me a lot of color anyway on my... Uh, and it's um, Grenache, so it struggles with color as it is. Guys, can I, can I pause for two seconds so I can plug in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just keep talking. Plug Is that in. cool, John? Okay, come right He's, back. Sorry. He's right. All good. All right, he's gone. Let's talk about him. <laughs> hey, I'm having. It, I, I love um, the um, his this Frenchie's line, and you're right. It just says I'm going to have a good time. You look at it, you know what you're going to have. Exactly. I was fooled by the Bouge, you know. But right, this when I called automatic. it the Bouge, save I, I John, thought... save some of that for me and bring it back. I sure will. Okay, because I want to try it. Okay, you want to try it? I can run it over <laughs> today. No problem. I just spilled my water. Hang on. Luckily, it wasn't my wine. <laughs> and it's not on your laptop, on your wife's laptop. <laughs> All right. Well, John. Then there was is, two, John. Then it was just me and you. That's all okay. You know what? John is taking the, the dog out. Harry has been sitting here whining, whining, whining. Oh, we had the, the gardeners come over, and, and it's just like, how silly can you get? There he is. There he is. You did pretty good. You did pretty good with the mute button being able I'm to trying. talk a little bit and uh, and keep the dog out of it. <laughs> but it's not question. a winemaker's podcast unless there's a dog barking in the background. Well, that's the no. idea. <laughs> if it's not one of ours, it's got to be the guest. It's not Curry. It's not Cash. Do you know where uh, he did his internship? He mentioned early on he did internship. I just well, we'll, we'll have to ask him when he comes yeah. back into the waiting room. So, how did you guys meet? I, you know, the first time that I met Brooke and Randy was a, uh, the old girl in the fig Grenache day party, maybe the first girl in the fig Grenache day party. And, uh, I was, I was pouring next to them. That was, you know, my, so that was what, when was that Brian? Uh, 20, right. 2017, 16. It was, well, it was before 14. they moved to Texas, obviously yeah, 15, 13. 15, 16, something like that. Yeah. So, and you know that was with the the lightning wines, which I think okay. were all yeah, I did gosh, like. Right? I I enjoyed that whole line. I met him on on uh, I met him through Brian, and then had him on the show a bunch of times. It was great. You know, I mean, he knows what he's doing. Um, well, at the time, he had that blue label with like the little squiggly white line that said mm -hmm. lightning, and then he changed it up to the to the one that was almost like a desert nighttime scene that i yeah. really liked with the lightning strike yeah. yeah yeah no that one was super cool he's coming back zooming uh, back in shout outs while he's out of here well, we're, oh, now he's back all right there we go all right we can sorry keep, we can do more shout outs it's better than better than losing so we bed. were we were wondering where you did your internship randy yeah tell and then maybe that's like a good way to sort of do the the timeline progression um, from into California back to back to Texas, and how you met Sam. 
Well, I just said how. Yeah, Sam had to be. Uh, well, that had to be at the at the at the uh, those bat dinners at at Girl in the Fig, right? I think it was I think it was Grenache Day. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. We were pouring next to each other, and and might have even been like it, it was it was uh it was you know it's September like third Friday in September, but it was hot as shit, and yeah. we didn't have it was like before we made white wine, it was before we had rosé, and you had the is was it grenache blanc the, the lightning right. that like white wine that you were making for lightning is probably grenache it was grenache blanc so, yeah cdp blanc was grenache blanc exactly. Russo. exactly mm. and, and like that Brian. wine like <laughs> saved my life that day because it was we were just we were just melting and you know yeah. i'd done something you know it was like the fourth event of the day and you know those days when we would do more than one event a week because it wasn't covid uh and <laughs> it was like I think I probably I probably drank a bottle of it sitting there pouring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, then, I, and then I bought me. some eventually. Yeah, and that that felt good for me because you know you're you're a Sonoma old timer, so I'm like, all right, all right, this dude likes my wines, man. This is pretty cool. Yeah, it was, it was I think a- I still have a Grenache Day shirt that has sixteen six hundred and lightning on the back of it. Oh, cool! That yeah. first shirt with like the, you know. Yeah, I Grenache see those, I see those yeah. on eBay all the time, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> big box, big Collectors box. <laughs> so your internship where'd you do yeah 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 so 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 i was in uh so i worked for a, a big distributor in houston and realized that i wanted to create uh this could be i went to i went to i went to college for uh for psychology so uh i'm a philosophy minor psychology major and uh, I was a counselor in a in a, uh, a mental health hospital for adolescents, and, and did man. that for did that for several years, and then kind of became it was a private hospital. I kind of became disheartened uh, with that system, uh, with the limitations of that, and so just kind of went fell back to hospitality, fell back to you know getting back into that, and then ended up at the distributor. Well, it was at the distributors where I realized I can. Uh, I can create, you know, I can, I can make this thing that goes out to people's tables and I can make this thing that goes home with people and I can have, that's my little contribution at this point is keeping grownups happy, you know, so I, I can, I can contribute, you know, that little piece to their life. And, and so um, I was up for this promotion uh, at the distributor and and Brooke and I had decided, you know, if if I get the promotion, this will be a major coup because it was a it was a promotion that I yeah I shouldn't have gotten, but my boss wanted me to know, or the bosses, or, or to the, the my boss wanted the bosses know to, to know me or whatever, so I could have this separately mobile tractor or whatever. But I, I didn't get the job, and so um, so yeah, so we made <laughs> we made all preparations and and we and we got out, and so. Um, you know, I was only looking for an internship and knowing now, you know, I know now how many people are flocking to the California wine country, you know, food and wine and the competition is fierce. And I was just some knucklehead from Texas, another another person that wanted a job from out of town. So I knew that this this move was for me. I needed that. I needed Brooke to be happy in her position. And that's when uh, Patson Hall became became available uh, they were they were going to expand their business and Brooks Brooks background uh, met those needs 
so when we moved to town, she she was working at Patson Hall and I was interviewing for internships. And uh, I ended up taking an internship. It came down to uh, Plump Jack and Cake Bread and Tony Biaggi. And it, this was like April, April of those. Oh, yeah, Tony. Yeah. There it is. There it is. Name we're thinking. There you go. There you go. And uh, yeah, so, 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 you know, with the Plump Jack job, I could have started uh, at the internship or with Cake because this was April. With cake bread, they were gonna they were gonna just give me a, a tasting room gig, and then and then move me to the vineyard in the summer, and then move me to the cellar in the fall, and so I went with cake bread, and um, so I was a twelve dollar an hour intern at cake bread. Uh, at the end, of, there were fourteen of us, and at the end of that season, I got hired. I made fourteen dollars an hour when I got hired, uh, so I was really rolling in it big time, big time. I moved from cleaning drains to telling someone to clean a drain. I don't know. <laughs> yes, yes, I make $2 yeah. an hour more than you. You go clean that drain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I was older, right? So, um, you know, December of, of 2006, when I get a full-time job at Cape Bread, I was 36 years old. And, you know, so I was coming at this from a little more mature perspective, maybe, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of Davis kids and, you know, Davis only, well, back then uh, this may have changed, but they only allow one semester off for an internship. So this one semester when the Davis kids get to go do an internship, they kind of go nuts. Um, you know, there was a guy, there were two guys from uh, Portugal whose, whose dad owned the, 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 the court company. And, you know, so, you know, and I'm old, I'm like, I'm 36, man, I'm going home, you know, I got to sleep, my feet are sore, and, you know, <laughs> um, so, yeah, it just worked out well, and then um, from full-time at Cake Bread, at, uh, went, went to Colgan, so Colgan, uh, their assistant winemaker at the time, uh, is now the, the winemaker at Cliff Lady, Chris Tynan, and Chris is from the Houston area, and we were at Colgan and, and I probably said y'all or I said whatever I said. And he kind of, you know, at Colgan, we're, you know, we were supposed to be furniture, right? It's like the French laundry approach. And, and he, ta- he eventually, when the time was right, he tapped me on my shoulder and he was like, hey, man, where are you from? And uh, so eventually we got together. He had this tasting group and there was a bunch of heavy hitters. And, uh, and then he offered me Katie an internship. Husband, right? What's Chris, that? Chris Tynan is Katie Buncher's husband. They just had a baby. Am I thinking of the same person? Is that right? I think so. It's been a while since I've talked to Chris. Okay. Yeah, pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. They just had a kid. Yeah. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, so in, eventually he said, you know, it's just an internship. You know, you'll have to leave your full-time job at Cake Bread, but but do you want to come work with us at Colgan? And I did. I definitely did. And that was, you know, that was the fall of 08 going into spring 09 when, when the economy collapsed. And uh, yeah, I thought I would. I thought I would end up at a at a decent job, right? Come come '09, I could you know get a get a full time job somewhere. But uh, so I told Kogan that I wouldn't be interested in the '09 internship. But when Harvest came and I was without, uh, she actually helped me uh, get an internship at Caldwell, where I worked with Marbu Mark, and uh, met all kinds of crazy people. Um, from, you know, Jen Williams and Mark Peremsky to uh, Philippe and Julian and Drew Nyman and 
um, I mean, the list goes on and on, but Marbu, Marbu is just, just like this, this genius winemaker uh, uh, mind. Um, and then, so then to Realm, to, to full-time at Realm, and then to uh, Andy Erickson at Marciano. Yeah. Yeah, Andy. You did okay. Yeah, backdate some dings for some of those names. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's uh yeah, I you know, I don't think I don't yeah, I don't think of it as name dropping. I just I it was it was the flight of a lifetime, you know, those eleven years. I mean, well, you know, I left Andy in 13. So those seven years, you know. I I will appreciate that time for the rest of my life, you know. Now, you know, uh, you could have spent a lot of money for an education at some place like Davis and not learn nearly as much as you did from that list of places and winemakers. And you know. well, I mean, when we were when I went to Realm, I mean, think about this: when I went to Realm, it was um, you know, Luke Morlay was making Realm uh, making. Uh, the Boswell wines, all of the Boswell stuff and all the Josh people's stuff. And, um, and Andy, right. Andy's there making, uh, Arietta. And then I'm working with Mike Herbie and Michelle Roland and, and, and Benoit Toquette and Juan, right. Juan Mercado is like right. the wine, you know, the wine Jedi, you know, um, I like that term. Yeah. Those years, those years at Boswell, I'm like, you know, I'm thinking, I'm just a kid here. I'm thinking it's, it'd be hard to find any building in, in the winemaking world that's as stacked as this building is right here that I get to go to and work at every day. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Now, you, you started this conversation with talking about, a, you know, the, the high level university that is just sort of being, being in this universe. Uh, and, you know, that's uh, no better example of that because, you know, when, when those are your coworkers, the people that, that walk through there that aren't necessarily even people who, you know, the growers that come through there, the other winemakers, the winery owners, the, you know, the, the marketing geniuses of the wine world that are just in that circle. Also, it just, you know, yeah, like I said, no better, no better place to learn how to do this than that. Yeah, that's I, that's Ivy League, Ivy League school for yeah, grapes. Yeah. 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 yeah, and if I had a question on, you know, I'm called Julian Fayard and go, hey, dude, I got this thing. Uh, what do you think about it? You know, and, and um, that's kind of insane. I, I remember when Andy first called me by name, when 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 we were preparing to move to California, um, I made a list. I made a top 50 list of people uh, or vineyards or people or wineries or entities. Right. I made a top 50 list. And Andy Erickson was the number one. I thought if I can be involved with any one of these entities on this list, then this move that we're making will have been worth it. And, uh, and Plump Jack and Tony Biazzi were on that list. And, um, and, and Andy Erickson was the number one. And I remember walking down the hall, down the caves at Chateau Boswell and passing by with tubes going to ETS and Andy was pulling samples. And as I passed by, I hear, hey, Randy. And all I could think was, Andy Erickson knows my name. <laughs> right? I'm like, Andy Erickson knows my name. And I just kind of stopped in that second. And I turned around. I go, yeah. And he goes, you're going to laugh? Yeah. 
He said, you mind taking these? I was like, yeah, no problem. No problem. And then I ended up working for Andy and then he's a friend and I can call on him today. I had to call on him a while back. Uh, yeah, it's insane. I love it. Can I ask a question? What did having that background at this big name distributor that you've been very careful not to name, uh, you know, where you worked when you were on that, that side of the business. Um, I mean, obviously writing that list of top 50, you, you have an inside track on making that top 50, the right top 50, but what do you think that brought to both sort of the beginning of your career? And then obviously now kind of having that full, you know, full spectrum experience with, you know, how it's made and how it's sold. You know, as far as getting that internship, um, I didn't know nobody that I sold their wines offered me a job, right. which was kind of bizarre to me. Like I couldn't get calls back. So I was really just, I was on wine business and I was just another knucklehead, you know, resume coming through, you know, coming down the pipe. And um, so it didn't help me at all in that regard. Um, today, I work really well. So today um, I work with RNDC and uh, we've just made the switch over to Republic at the end of 21. And I am super excited about my year ahead with them, my time ahead with them. Um, man, just to just talk about just a group of professionals, but they're, they're taking our brand and they, they have our brand in their fine wines division and they're taking our brand and running with it and they're treating it like it's a small boutique brand and we're an on-premise brand and they're excited about it and they're organized around it. And um, man, I'm absolutely thrilled at, at what I think is, is about to happen with us and with them. And having all of the distributor experience that I have um, helps that process tremendously. Um, so I think, you know, in, in, in one way early on, it didn't, it, it didn't play in, but today I, I think it's a, it's kind of a big deal for us at this point because yeah. we have enough wine to be distributable. Yeah. I mean, we're at, we're at, we're at 65 tons, you know, three years ago, I was at, good Lord, oh, really? Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, two, two, two years ago, we were at the same uh, tonnage as we were with lightning wines and then we doubled and then we doubled again and so um and then we're just selling out of everything you know that that wow. frenchy rosé uh last year we doubled production and we sold out in five weeks and then so this year i've tripled that number and it looks like so we just released that you know we just john i sent you that rosé release and and you know that just went out today and brooke said i i think we're gonna sell out of magnums today so, <laughs> so, so it's, you know, it's phenomenal, but, but, but our new partner in RNDC, they get that and they're like, cool, that's great. They're not saying, you know, oh, you know, give us more wine. They're saying, well, that's fantastic. Now, what else are we going to sell and get excited about? Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, who has the desert willow blend? I, have, uh, I, I, I do, but here's my thing. I don't have my Corvin with me. 
I don't want to open these other two wines right now because then I got four of these. I want to share that's them with people. That's well, I got, I have, I, because I wasn't as forth thinking as you, Brian. I opened the the Desert Willow Vineyard 5050 Grenache Mavedra, and then I just opened the Tempranillo. Um, and I, I love the Tempranillo for sure. Um, cool. The Desert Willow, um, I love too. Interesting, like the color versus the, you know, richness that it brings, um, you know, challenges and, and differences of growing those varieties down there than, than up here. Yeah, you know, and, and I think my process, a lot of times, I think those wines are deceptive. You know, when, when I'm working with folks like Brian and bringing some Grenache and, you know, it's coming from, you know, Rincon Valley and it's, uh, 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 what's the, what's the big clone, the big Grenache clone that's so dark, the, uh, six, six, seven, uh, or? the Alban clones. Alban. Yeah. When you're bringing some Alban, you know, from Rincon Valley and then, and then you come in with like something from, from, you know, Gilroy, it, there's a big difference. And, you know, the, I, 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 at one point I was buying some hundred year old, uh, Almaden Grenache. And, uh, so that was pretty cool. But, um, but yeah, it's always been that way. There's, um, I like texture. I like weight and texture and complexity. Um, I like aromatics. And so with Grenache, color or no color, hopefully we've got some mature fruit that can give us um, some aromatics and some flavors. And so um, what we've got with that Desert Willow, so I happen to be pressing Roussan the day that I was moving the bins of, uh, we have these huge, like, <clears throat> excuse me, these uh, ton and a half uh, square stainless steel fermenters. Because uh, somebody in my past told me one time uh, that, that you can't make great wine in plastic. And I was like, all right, well, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's going to stick with me, you know, like, like, in a, like in a professor, you know, so so anyway, we have these these ton and a half stainless steel bins. And so I was going to move them from the, the, the 45 degree cold room out into the sun, warm them up, get the natives going. But I was pressing Russe on that day. And I thought, well, what if, right? Like a, like a coat roti, like a Syrah, Viognier kind of thing, sort of. Um, this just timing wise just worked out. So I I threw, I threw roots of t like all of the roots on went into the ferments of the Grenache and Mouved. The, and the skins. The skin. After I pressed it off. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I targeted, I targeted 140 gallons. And so that way I knew I would still have uh, 140 gallons per ton of yield from the, from the roots on skins. So that way I still had some pulp. I still had some juice. I still had some, some character of that. And so, um, yeah, yeah. So, and it was the, the Grenache was going to be okay that year. The Mouved was good, um, but I had two good wines that I was trying to follow up. And so I was, I was worried about that Grenache all along and then get the Roussans in and the Roussans, people around me were freaking out. They were like, no, don't do that. What are you doing? And I'm like, no way, man, this is, this is totally calculated theory right here. I think I'm good. I think I know what, what's going to happen. And, and it went off and it's just floral and bright. When it first, when I first put it in bottle, it had like this crunchy redness to it, but the floral component 
Um, very happy with that wine. It's still super fresh, but I combined it. It was clear. I, I keep all of my wines in components. Um, that way, as they evolve, I know how to blend them. Uh, it was clear on that Grenache and that Moved that the Grenache was okay. The Moved was good. Together, they were magic. And so from the beginning, I, I wanted the magic from the beginning on that wine. So I guess, I guess I hope nobody from label, the label police is listening, but it's probably supposed to be, you know, on the back label, it's probably supposed to say a third Roussan, a third Grenache, a third Mouvet. Uh, but anyway, there's the, there's the truth. They're not listening. And yeah, they're not listening. They should be, but they're not. No, <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense though, because you know, I, I, you, early on you'd said that you don't use new oak with Grenache, but there was something at, at, that I couldn't, it wasn't vanilla, but it was in that, in that vein, almost like, like a cream soda note, kind of just like hidden in there on, on the back of the palate that I was like trying to figure out. And I, I think it's a little signature of that sort of, you know, the, the roasted apple, Roussan thing that's happening in there um, that kind of like brings that just little you know in the same way that you know you see this Brian when we do the, the Viognier skins and the Syrah it kind of just elevates things rounds things out elevates yep. sort of yep. lectins and that's it makes a lot more elevates. This wine makes a lot more sense with the, the Roussan uh, piece of the conversation yeah, yeah for sure it's, yeah. it's interesting I dig it. Pretty. And the 19, uh, y'all know, y'all know Vine Pair? Yeah. The, the, the website Vine Pair. So they put the uh, 19 Moved, the Desert Willow Moved on their, um, on their top 50 wines of the year. Nice. Yeah, it was incredible. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh man, oh my God, I made a list. Little I'm on a Mavedra. list. I'm on a list with Texas Mavedra. <laughs> this is incredible. Yeah. Ooh. But isn't there something, you know, we talked about this last week uh, when Bart brought in his Rossi Grenache and Rossi Mavedra, where mm. on their own, they're both really interesting, beautiful wines. But when you combine them, there's just something like innate in the way that Grenache and Mavedra fit together, where, you know, there's sort of inherent holes in Grenache, especially um, that when you bring Mavedra into the party, it sort of like fills those holes and, you know, the, the difference is, you know, what, what percentage that happens at or what you got, but um, yeah, there's, there's uh, the syner synergistic magic, you know, they've been doing it for a long time. There's a reason they put Grenache and Mavedra together, you know? No doubt. No doubt. And you throw in that Senso, you know, you start looking at some of those other little minor players. Right. Yeah. It really does start to make sense. But, you know, that's what I look for when I'm when I'm blending something is is that magic. Where is the magic? You know, we can make good wine. I mean, that's what we have to do when 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 I'm in when I'm in Northern California. I mean, it's it's arguably the most competitive wine region on the planet. You know, if, if you consider, you know, the United States and tourism and capitalism and, uh, you know, the openness with which we can uh, accept visitors you know, if you go to France or Spain, you're like, hey, knock, knock, is anybody home? You know, right. um, it's super, super, super competitive. So you, you, you have to find the magic. And I, I love finding that magic. If I can, 
this one's good. This one's good. Ah, this one's magic. You know, that's the one I want to tell everybody about, you know, that's what I look for. To quote another recent guest, you know, you're looking for that extra dimensional. Yeah. You know, and, it, uh, but there's a theme that runs through with winemakers that we're, we're always talking about something that's, you know, in the intangible in these, you know, when you really like, when you nail it, there's, it's magic, it's extra dimensional, it's, it's whatever um, that wasn't there until it all came together. Um, you know, what, when I'm t- talking to people at a, at a dinner or, you know, just chatting to people about wines and whatnot, they go, oh my God, what is that? How did you do that? I'm like, you know, the huge cheesy red face grin. I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I, hope, I hope I can do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love that wine. I love those wines. Yeah, you know that Blanc de Noir, Casey. That's what happened right before my computer went out. The Blanc yeah, de yeah. Noir is is that is that because we just took this Grenache that wasn't giving me color from the vineyard, and I knew it. And I just took, um, yeah, we just did like this four hour long champagne press, and the wine comes out clear. Basically, it's basically clear with like a like a pinkish hue, and then. Um, just keep it still. It's a still wine. So it has all this red fruit right. character and weight. And um, yeah, and then I took those solids and I put them in the Grenache that, you know, just makes the Grenache more concentrated and better. So um, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy to look at this clear wine and be drinking something that feels like a light red. Right. What's the, what's the chemistry on the, on the Grenache Blanc de Noir? Just like, you know, sort of top line, what's the, what, what's the final alcohol? What did you, what did you pick yeah. at to get, I mean. I bet I'm, uh, I've got it on a spreadsheet. I track everything monthly. I bet you this is probably coming in around three. I bet it's at about three, four pH. Uh, I'm betting it's probably closer to the 14 I'm going to look at it because I know I can look it up right now. And when is it available? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So on, uh, on January 6th, I came back for the new year and did my, my, my sampling and, and to, uh, topping. And so we were at 338 pH. Uh, this wine is, is no malolactic. It's 13.6 on, um, on the alcohol and zero sugar. Everything I do is dry. And um, yeah, 16 ppm on the uh, on the SO2. Uh, so it was it was pretty ripe fruit. Like it, you yeah. weren't you weren't necessarily. I mean, you weren't making Vin Claire here. You you made still Blanc de Noir, 13 percent out. I mean, <laughs> interesting. I mean, yeah. I literally just took the Grenache that I was making red wine with, and. I don't know. I read about it. I read about it in this book. I read about it in a in this in this Parisian cookbook storybook thing. It's called <laughs> yeah. It's called La Bouvette. And and I was in this photo shoot, and this this photographer he's really doing his thing. He's really really getting some good stuff done. But he starts telling me about this cookbook. It's it's this French wine shop slash small bites, and it's called La Bouvette, and it's shot just beautifully. And so I go buy the book, 
and it is, it is shot beautifully. But and I read the whole thing the first day, and there's a story in there about her friend comes up, I think from the Languedoc or somewhere. Her friend comes up, and he's got this case of Blanc de Noir still wine, and it's her favorite wine that she's ever had. And I'm like, ah, oh, wait a second, wait a second. I got this Grenache that doesn't give me color. Hang on, hang on, you know, can I do this? And, uh, and that's, that's, what he, that's what we did. And that was, again, it was another one of those moments where we're like, oh, my God, we're magicians, you know. Like, I can't believe this worked. Yeah. Wait, so are you going to name that wine La Bouvette? I should, huh? Yeah. No, nah, it's gonna. We're gonna name. We're gonna. It's gonna be on that black label. It's gonna say this is. This is the name of this wine is Blanc de Noir. Oh, you're gonna blow some minds. It's crazy. We're gonna put a cork, so hopefully, you know, nobody thinks it's it's sparkling. But yeah. <laughs> right. it'll just be cork finished. Right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I'll send y'all some. Now the the temptation in that is is real. You know, one of the things we always struggle with with. Um, Grenache rosé is getting enough color, right? You know, we've made the, you know, as we make more and more sort of intent with our with our rosé program and get better and better at it, um we also have had less and less color in the in the Grenache rosé. You know, we're picking a little earlier, we're being more selective in what fruit goes into it. The wine itself is better. Uh but then, you know, you get people going, "Hey, why does this almost look like white wine?" And we're like, well, we called it rosé. It's rosé, but um, you know, it's that salmon, that idea of pink that Grenache rosé gets. If you know, if we, I could see doing that. You know, taking those those Grenaches that aren't getting, you know, because that's what we do. We go, we pick, we do select picks. Instead of doing a green drop, we go through and get all the bunches that didn't get enough color and pick those uh, and and make rosé out of it. Um, but yeah, if we just a couple bars less on the, on the press dial, the press back a little bit and call it Blanc de Noir. Yeah. If yeah. when you're in Texas and there's no rules, you get to do those things, right? We get to blow minds if we, if we can. <laughs> Randy, yeah. you are having fun, my friend. You were having fun. I am. <laughs> I am. And I, but you know, I miss making Grenache Rosé. Um, I loved, I loved my California Grenache Rosé. But you know, here the Cinso, this for my money, the Cinso is what's reacting the right way. And my Grenache, my Grenache uh, um, um, sites, I don't have enough Grenache to make reds as it is. So it's fortunate that I that Cinso is performing the way it is. I mean, the proofs in that in that that y'all have tasted earlier. Um, it's it's it rides that line that my that my California Grenache rosés rode between just you know, juicy and fruity, but also with weight in the mouth, because I still ate that on the leaves. Um, but also give me give me some savory components. You know, I'm not afraid. I want give me strawberry and black pepper. That's that's a badass rose. Give me that all day long. You know, yeah. give me a savory strawberry shortcake and cracked pepper over the top. You know, that's fine with me. You're a man of many talents, my friend. Seriously, <laughs> you're having fun. <laughs> I can tell. I just—it's nice to look at you and to see you. I'm glad we did the Zoom call. Yeah, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't shave my trim my beard for like a month and a half in anticipation, and he comes in almost clean cut for Randy Hester. Yeah, <laughs> I got some hair. Back. I got this the my latest haircut. I was like, yeah, man, I'm I'm enjoying shoulder length, and I got out and I was like, wait, I see my ears. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going back to her. Uh, 
Yeah, dude. I never know where you're at, Sam. I, you know, I see you sometime. You're clean. I see you sometime and you look like a man. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I'm trying to, trying <laughs> to keep fact, up with you. It, uh, it's purely, um, uh, laziness. <laughs> you just, if you just cut the beard back way short, you know, once every three, four months and then, you know, you come back and, I think it was, you know, I did, I had my Thanksgiving, uh, I did my Thanksgiving shearing. So I'm probably due here for a, a Valentine's Day shearing probably. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I know Bart makes it to Austin or, or pre-COVID was, uh, was making it to Austin every year for South by. Do y'all, any of y'all going to be in the area anytime? John, do you still shoot F1? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, I want to come have, back down for that. We have that F1 here at the end of October. I mean, do y'all have Sam or Brian? Tra- have- great track. I love that. And the races are good there. Really nice. That's fun. I'm hoping for that and sprint car qualifying this year. They're really active. I mean, that track has races every day, every weekend. They're packed. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm-hmm. That's really good mm-hmm. for the economy. Good motorcycle races are good there, too. Well, yeah, Randy, if I could somehow coordinate my schedule, my wife's schedule, and my daughter's schedule to take a vacation anywhere but uh, up to the Sierras, boy, that'd be good. But is there a Fairmont down there, Brian? You can go uh, Austin. Yeah, yeah, for sure. One. They got it's a nice huge, pool. Beautiful. Yeah, it was John huge, Wilson who huge. told me about this great hotel. Um, and we were there a few years ago when you had a huge rainstorm the day before the race. Everything was flooded, and the day before we were there. All we could do was hang out at this cool hotel and bars and and drink all day. Stay inside. It was pouring rain outside, man. So yeah, there is one really cool hotel, like the Bristol or something like that. Some some really grand old hotel that has been redone, and uh, they've got quite a section of bars in there. It's beautiful. Yeah, Dude, I heard it's a dispensary out. now, John. Is it? Is that it? No, <laughs> not quite. I don't think not so. quite there yet in Texas. No, it was it was really, really a big, cool old hotel. Uh, the yeah. name escapes me. So anyway, yeah, I'll be down. Absolutely, John and I love cool. that. Cool, cool, cool. And you know, the wine business—you only travel when you get to go and sell wine. So I'm, I'm actually, we're working on nailing down some Texas distribution here, and some, you know, sometime 2022. So. Uh, Austin will be my first stop. I'll skip yeah. Houston, skip Dallas, go straight to Austin. That's kind of the way I want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 if you're interested, we'll do like a takeover. You know, we can do a takeover at the tasting room. Oh, uh, we've got the you know we've got the guys from uh, Benevolent Neglect coming out. Yeah, I saw weekend. that. That's great. Yeah, yeah so Matt, yeah, Matt and Ben are coming out. Uh, they're going to do an event in Houston on. Uh, Thursday and then we'll have them Friday. We're gonna go uh we're gonna go out Friday and then Saturday they're gonna do a takeover at our place that afternoon and then that evening we're gonna do uh there's this uh uh it's called Midnight in the Garden, but it's uh basically it's a supper club and so we have two seatings uh for for, for BN to come out and do that. So uh nice. I've got some pre-COVID yeses from some folks that y'all know. But Sam, yeah, I mean, if, I'm, uh, I'm in a hundred percent vinyl Sunday yeah. roadshow takeover at, uh, oh, Buteau, Taste yes. yeah, I like it. Oh, planning, live planning oh, here. Yes. On the, on the yeah. All right. Cool. 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 All right. All right. Yeah, let's do it. There'll be more, there'll be more tie dye and 
Austin, Texas, when I show up than there's ever been before. I like it. <laughs> and Randy, like that it. hotel is the Driscoll. So if it's Driscoll, Driscoll, yeah, drop yeah, in. Sure. It's very cool. So absolutely, yeah, old school, beautiful. I liked it. So yeah. Well, all right. Wait. Any any shout outs, guys? Well, let's let's let people know how to get a hold yeah. of these wines. Yes, sell, sell some wine. How do you get? How do you get? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's clbuto.com. The letter C, the letter L, the last name is B-U-T-A-U-D. It's clbuto.com. And we're on Instagram at clbuto, Facebook. Um, yeah, just join the mailing list. We're doing a lot of fun stuff. You know, uh, earlier we talked about the, the local perk being, you know, you come in anytime you want, you get your flight or you get your glass and you come hang out. <clears throat> so it occurred to me, you know, how many times are people going to do that before they're kind of like, yeah, you know, we've kind of done that. So, so that's where the idea for these visiting winemakers comes from. So, so we have uh, friends coming in from California uh, who are going to pop in with us and, and spend some time with us and, and we'll show around Austin. But then we also have, we've been working a lot with the local chefs. Uh, so back in May, we did a, we did a crab boil with Gulf crab, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's these, you know, it's, it's the Sandra's of the world. It's the top end, you know, chef owned, you know, restaurants that are kicking your tongue out of your face with their delicious foods. And, and so, yeah, and then we did a, we did one in the fall and then we've got one coming, uh, at the end of February that we're doing with a place called, uh, interstellar barbecue, the one in the fall was with a place called Foreign and Domestic. So these are all friends of the brand and friends of ours, and then just top top Austin restaurants. And so, um, and in fact, Interstellar, this is kind of cool. This is his second concept already, and uh, it's a lot of notoriety. His first one was all over Food Network, and then uh, this one, this dinner, he's trying out his new concept. So it's all this new food. Nice. So anyway. I mention all that because if, if folks want to folks from California, you know, in, in, or, or, or anywhere in your listening audience want to follow that along, you know, just at, at CLB, uh, CLB on Instagram, but, but just hit our mailing list and, and we'll get you all the information. We won't, we won't inundate you. We'll just let you know what's happening. That's good. And, and uh, we'll keep moving. Nice. Right on. So thank you. And, uh, but, you know, obviously Bart's not going to make it. He's been texting me every now and then he's working on his taxes. So we're trying to figure out the, the Roussan, um, part with him and I make, making wine together. And it's, uh, looks like <laughs> it's a fucking nightmare. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, you should probably have been in that meeting, Brian, or at least you're, you know, you're small, you know, I told him and my, well, no, let me, let me rephrase that. My wife told me we can't lose money. Right. So, you know, maybe we're not going to be making a lot of money, but we're not losing money. So that's the good first step. Um, because I, I you just, and Bart are doing a co-ferment? No. So I, I made a Roussan. Sam's, Sam's dad was nice enough to break me off a little, little bit of Roussan from Rossi right. ranch in 2019. We worked, we worked you pretty hard for a couple months in the tasting room. Yeah. Was, so, um, and then Bart let me do it at his spot. So I got to make the wine and, and it's almost all gone. It was like 54 cases, but, um, fortunately I know someone who buys the wine at the Fairmont. So it was on, it's been on by the glass, um, for a while. Um, so we've, we've moved through it pretty well. Um, and it's just getting better and better. So I'm going to hold on to probably the last five cases. So we're pretty much done with production. But um, when you add everything up, you know, when you make one wine and you add up the someone designing a label, the labels, the corks, the glass, that, I mean, it, 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 there's, no, there's not much uh, left there at the end of the day. So 
but it, but altogether um, grateful for the opportunity to be able to do it because it's something I always wanted to do. Tell so. you, Brian, when you make twenty five wines and you add it all up, there's not a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> I figured maybe you know twenty five times a little bit <laughs> might come out to something, but. Um, anyway, I, I did want to say thank you to Brene Royal for letting us come up as a staff yesterday up to um, up to Monterosso. She, you know, it was something we had planned for months and, and she didn't know yesterday turned into a little bit of a stressful day for, for her because as we were arriving, she was flying down the hill as she tends to do in her truck uh, with the dog in the back and she had just seen um, Bud Break. Um, uh, in the vineyard and so she was expecting that five weeks uh, from now something like that and so then her whole day sort of changed you could tell she was she was thinking about a lot of other things other than hosting um, a group of kids from the Fairmont up there um, getting drunk so um, I just want to say thank you to Brene for um, sticking with us and and showing us around because it's a beautiful property up there yeah that's a stunning part of the valley really is yeah 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 for sure that view is exceptional from Amapola when we were up there that, you know, you just, there's so many spots up there. Yeah. I mean, you can see everything. You see Mount Tam from up there and um, you know, it started off a little bit cold during the day and then, and then warmed up as we went along and they were nice enough to, you know, it's Gallo. So, you know, they drove us up in, in Espalades and, and sat us down for some lunch and stuff. So we had a good time yesterday. <laughs> wow. That sounds good. Yeah. yeah, those pictures she posted are terrifying to me, though. That but bud break, bud break, January twenty fourth. You know, it sounds like it's a little bit of an isolated situation. Uh, she found another one as we were kind of going along. I I just showed you that one, but then uh, yeah, she was like, "Hey, do you want to see the you want to see the vine that's terrifying me today?" So she she took me over to it, but um, yeah, it looks like just cut it down. Cut it off. <laughs> I should have just ripped it off and said, "There you go. Never worry. Don't worry about it. Enjoy your day." <laughs> and and Randy, really appreciate you sending the wines. And like I was saying, I I tasted the the rosé and the carbonic sanjo, and I love them both. But I I really want to share these with friends because even to this day, even though a lot of people in the wine industry know that every state um, makes wine. They, they don't have experience with it and we don't have a lot of access to it. So I want to share these bottles with people um, instead of me just opening up and drinking them myself and, and um, share the love a little bit. So I appreciate it. Yeah, please, please do that. Uh, I, is that the cease or the temp? The cease is going to be released this fall. Yeah, so I have the the Tempranillo and then the, um, the Grenache Mauvet. Got it, got it. Yeah, the, yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. The temp just came out. Uh, the cease I only sent because it uh, most resembles what I was doing with lightning that that y'all would be familiar with. It's just a juicier version with more Rome varietals in it. Uh, so whoever gets the cease, uh, just when just know that's that's an industry bottle. It just came. We're, we're that's coming out this fall sometime. Cool. I got. I have a bottle of that I didn't open it, so we'll we'll uh, we'll stash it away for the right moment. Nice. Cool. 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 Yeah, man, this was fun, y'all. Yeah, thank this you, was Ray. supposed to happen for a long time. <laughs> John was hitting me up, and Bart was hitting me up, and we couldn't make it work. Thank we'll get, you. This it. is amazing to be with it. y'all. Well, I have so many you, memories you know, we, from each of you, you know. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and I saw y'all on the yeah, I saw y'all on the on the cover of the magazine. 
sitting <laughs> sitting on the I saw Sans face, right? Because Sans face is like, yeah, 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 yeah. Friend and center. And, and, and I was like, hang on, hang on. I missed this. I know this guy. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could have been you when you moved to Texas, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. So yeah, so what I did was I, I signed the I signed the 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 the, the magazine myself. I was like, and Randy, <laughs> no, no, but I have you know I have I have so many uh, you know memories individually with all of you, and so that this could then now work out again. Um, it's an absolute thrill. So perfect karma, man. man. Thank you. Thank you. Look forward to getting down to getting down to Austin and making some new memories. We'll see you for the F1 race, man. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Vinyl Sunday, Austin. All right. Oh, I cannot wait. That's going to be incredible. That's going to be awesome. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We are the winemakers. We'll talk to you next week. Peace. Happy New Year.